Those who know fear burn at the touch of the man-thing. Steve Gerber, I guess? The narrator? They yeah, say it I a guess. lot. They say it a lot. <laughs> man-thing. <laughs> the only one who doesn't say it. <laughs> Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to Noob Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. And I'm Professor Z. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects, but away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards. We like to think of it as learning and luxury. Noob? Yes, Professor? Tell the rest of the class your name, your current favorite Marvel Snap card, and what you're here to learn about. Uh, my name is Mac, uh, the noob. Uh, <laughs> my favorite Marvel Snap card currently is Professor X, uh, because I don't want you to play anymore. You're a bad person. I mean, so is he, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> we will, another day, discuss my issues with the character assassination. Modern X is bad. X, but yeah. <laughs> and I'm here to learn about magic in the Marvel Universe. Well, with that in mind, Professor Z, mm. what's our lesson today? The man thing. HR? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was trying to explain this to the, the cashier at work today. was like, what you reading? Because I had my book with me. And I'm like, oh, 70s comics. Oh, which ones? Man, man, man thing. Man thing. What? what? Yeah, no, it gets worse. Giant size man thing. <laughs> okay, so I'm actually going to say this as much as we made fun of, I think it was Conway that we're like, you're a liar. You totally named Jack Russell. Yeah. Jack Russell on purpose. I believe them when they say they didn't mean to make <laughs> jokes <laughs> with the man thing, especially because giant size was just their name for like yeah. annuals. There's giant size Spider-Man, giant size <laughs> Hulk. What was it? Giant size Spider-Man and Master of Kung Fu? Yeah. All sorts of like but then they were like giant size man thing and put out and went Oh no. <laughs> we did this. Quick behind the scenes stuff, which I know we don't usually do, but one I'm one, I'm always interested in these things, and two, it it's fun with man thing. One, you and I did our first podcast together with Swamp Thing, the distinguished yes. competitions. Uh, version? Version. And I'll be honest, as much as I love the man thing, I do not get the name right about half the time. So I will probably refer to him as Swamp Thing at least once. And I have a feeling we're going to bring up Swamp Thing a couple times. Just because... It's, it's, the, it's the Swamp Thing. Yeah. Uh, now, to add to this story, the two people who created Man Thing and Swamp Thing lived together when they made them. Yes. I also believe, because they're like, well, we didn't steal on purpose. I actually believe that, too. Because Stan Lee was the one that came up with the name Man-Thing and, like, mm -hmm. put him out there. Sent him to, I think, Gary Conway, but I'm not, I don't have that off the top of my head. And then shortly afterwards, DC put out Swamp Thing. And there was actually talk about, like, do we need to sue DC over this? But the two books 
veered, even though their first issue may as well be the same thing. But they veered in such different directions so quickly. Also, both of them are blatant ripoffs of an older character named The Heap. So, like, let's be honest, guys. Which I think we saw. I was about to say, That's I... a different Heap. Okay. <laughs> the Heap is a character from, I want to say Warren, but I'm not sure. It's not a Marvel character, but it, mm. uh, Image got their hands on him eventually. Yeah. And so the, one of the things I find interesting, because I'm a giant Swamp Thing fan, I've looked into the history between the two characters before. I don't know how true e- either way this is, but I f- it's weird the difference I run into whenever you hear about their creation from the Marvel side. It's always a little bit more like, yeah, and then both sides just sort of decided to back off. And whenever you read about it from the DC side, it's like somebody brought up that they could both be sued because of the heap. And then they backed <laughs> off. <laughs> let's, you know, let's roll with this. There was weird litigious stuff back and forth a lot in the days. Wonder Man got killed off on his like third appearance because he was too close to Wonder Woman. Mm. And then they brought out DC brought out Power Girl and they were like, but we have Power Man right there. <laughs> and they eventually just decided, okay, we're just not gonna... Mm -hmm. We've been ripping each other off for decades. Like, let's just roll with it. Man-Thing is interesting because I've never been that interested in him before recently. Right. Like, you know, he's there, he's got a kind of cool design, but like, I kept being like, but Swamp Thing's right there. Why do I care about Man-Thing when Swamp Thing's here? Yeah, well, I agree. Why do I care about Man Thing when Swamp Thing's here? Side note: All of the, the all the the sentences that come up involving Man Thing are so awkward. They're I always unfortunate. Yes, I didn't become interested in Man Thing until Blade had a boy thing on his shoulder. Yep, doesn't get better. Boy <laughs> Thing is truly unfortunate. <laughs> I that existed. Yup. <laughs> now it's in my head again. Yup. Uh, also, we will, in a later episode, meet the son of a Man-Thing, but not this Man-Thing, because there are other Man-Things out there in the world. That sentence. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> One Man-Thing marries an ice... something. Crystal something. An ice thing? Yeah, basically. And they have a kid. <laughs> it's actually a great Strange Academy is one of my favorite books of the last five years, but... <laughs> as much as we keep, like, cracking up about Man-Thing, it's still so much better than calling him Man-Object, like dude does. <laughs> oh, like, uh, Dakeem the Sorcerer yeah. does? Yeah. Okay, real quick, just because it's been bugging me, what is Swamp Thing's person name? Uh, Alec Holland. Alec Holland, that's been driving me or nuts. The main Swamp Thing. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. Okay, we're going with it. You know what I meant. Yeah. And also, ooh, not Overage Swamp Thing. That was Alec something else. Alex something else. And it, yeah, yeah, but that was first appearance only. Mm-hmm. Yes, this was interesting. Uh, I didn't know how much I was going to enjoy this, and I didn't really understand until I was reading this how much Man-Thing, especially in the Gerber run, which we will be discussing at length, was kind of just his cipher to write about whatever he wanted. Mm. Man-Thing barely exists in a lot of issues here. Mm-hmm. This, I, I, keep, I kept describing him when people were asking what I was reading of basically like, 
he's the ennui of the 70s given comic book form. <laughs> and it's actually truly depressing how many things that he's like freaking out about in a 50-year-old comic that I'm like, that came up last week. Yeah, this hasn't news. gotten any better. It's actually gotten worse. The book burning and toxic masculinity Ooh. episode, I had to put the book down for a little while. The concept of uh, predatory corporations ruining the environment, I was like, hey! <laughs> See, I knew I, I knew that one was coming in, <laughs> yeah. so it bummed me out, but at least mm -hmm. I wasn't like, oh, okay. It was like super cool to read that, but also depressing to be like, Nothing has changed. <laughs> mm -hmm. What's interesting is, you know, as we talked to death of I'm trying to find my own take on each of these characters. There isn't one for Ted Salas for Man-Thing. Man-Thing is not. He's not a like, this is a really good werewolf story or this is, you know, Dracula's a, a dummy. He's just kind of a cipher of whatever emotion you want to have going on in this story. Mm -hmm. If you can justify putting a swamp monster in the background, even you can tell whatever story you want with the man thing. Yeah. Like daredevil. Or <laughs> you can have daredevil appear for two panels out of nowhere. You really just have to make sure that if once he's there, he reacts appropriately depending on what, what emotional happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Appropriately for him. Well, yeah. and when I was yeah. reading it originally, they're like, oh, Man-Thing has no emotions. He doesn't really have personality. I'm like, that's dumb. What are you going to do with that? And then, and modern writers seem to agree with me, but they found so many things to do with him still. I agree. Um, it's got to be hard to write. Don't get me wrong. I get, I, yes. I really enjoyed it. We'll get more into it when we mm -hmm. actually talk about that part of it. Let's let's hear more yeah, about no, the it was actual just, character. It was just interesting to mm -hmm. go into this. Also, I will note, because of this, there are major story arcs that were some of my favorite bits that, like, cover a sentence in what we're talking about here. Like, uh, it'll it'll come up like, Mad Thing face the, the hatreds and evils of this random angry swamp woman given human form. That's, like, the whole sentence. It was a two-story arc, or two-issue story arc, and it was one of my favorites of this mm -hmm. entire run. So, this, I don't know if this is going to sound like a really interesting episode, or you'd be like, I don't know why you can, but I really, I was surprised how much I enjoyed this. Let's just, yeah. Same. Same. But, we're going to start with Ted Salas, a biochemistry professor from Empire State University. I lent you the the collected editions that had the first issue. So you've read the first issue. Have mm. you read this? No. Okay. Side note, these issues are gorgeous. They the the illustrations in some of these first appearances are absolutely incredible. I just needed to put that out mm -hmm. there. He's recruited into the US Army for Project Sulfur. The project is dedicated to allowing soldiers to withstand biochemical warfare, and Salas develops the SO2 serum, maybe S02, I'm not sure, to grant immunity to all known toxic biochemicals. However, it becomes unusable upon discovered side effect of turning users into monsters, which they kind of found out about with Ted. <laughs> They're like, oh... Okay. But basically, Ted is the classic scientist, and this is kind of, I think, the fallout of the Manhattan Project and how much we were still, we were messed up after the Manhattan Project as a culture. And there was a whole lot of scientists 
I mean, it happens to this day, being pulled into research by the military, even if they don't agree with the research, because it's the only way to get funding. And they're like, well, we'll get good stuff out of it. Uh, you mean one of the central conflicts in, for the characters in Full Metal Alchemist? Yeah, weird. In everything. <laughs> yeah. Salas himself is actually a pretty good dude, but he's also aware that he is making... that He's aware that everyone's destroying the environment, and he's just making a way to have soldiers not care and keep fighting, which is messed up. He meets Kirk Connors, a.k.a. The Lizard, uh, long before he becomes the Lizard, just when he's an armless man who thinks maybe if I inject myself with lizard DNA, I could not be an armless man. He's a somehow less crazy Morbius. But barely. But with yeah. very similar plot lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he meets him in the hospital, and the two begin discussing nano-scaffolding and Ted's attempt to create Captain America 2.0, uh, which really was the same thing, the SO2 serum, and attempting to recreate the super soldier serum itself. While unable to afford to hire Kurt once they return stateside, Ted still aids him with his cell regeneration research, which soon leads Connor towards using lizard DNA, which, again, doesn't really work. Silas falls in love with one of his students, Ellen Brandt, because in the 70s that was considered an okay thing to write into every storyline involving a professor. Yes. Looking at you, Dr. Druid. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) He's dead. And the pair elope following a secret affair. After their honeymoon, they visit the fortune teller, Madame Swabata, who foretells a catastrophic change. Now, Ellen herself has had kind of several rewrites throughout even just her earliest appearances of how much she actually cared about Ted or whether she was just trying to gas him for money. Mm. Needing his research to be moved somewhere more secluded, he discussed with Ellen the idea of moving to the Everglades so he can be closer to Kurt. Salas is then reassigned to Project Gladiator, a S.H.I.E.L.D. research program based in Florida, Everglades, and Salas modified his SO2 formula as the basis for a new super soldier serum. The organization AIM, which stands for Advanced Idea Mechanics, which is pretty much, what if the super scientists all formed their own version of Hydra without the whole Nazi background? Right. It's not significantly better because they're just weapons manufacturers who will happily sell to Hydra, and their soldiers tend to be really bad at their jobs because they're all scientists. (laughs) Anyways, AIM wanted the serum and conspired with a bitter Ellen, whom Ted had long neglected since their honeymoon. Upon completing his new serum, Ted committed his formula to memory and burnt his records, but he soon flees when Ellen uh, leads Ted into an AIM ambush and attempts to reach Kirk Connor's lab. While fleeing, he injects the only existing example of the serum into himself just before his car crashes into the swamp. While he should have died, the magical energies of the swamp, combined with the serum, as well as some of Kirk Connor's regeneration serum, which is not mentioned in those original stories, that is a retcon, uh, transforms him into the Hand Thing. His human intelligence rapidly fading, Salas then slays the AIM agents and horribly burns half of Ellen's face. Unknown to Salas, Ellen had been pregnant. In those early appearances, Ellen is significantly more villainous than like, oh, he neglected me. No, in, the, in those, she was straight up. She was not good. <laughs> she, she was not. <laughs> like, she was. Man-Thing returns to his former laboratory after he stumbles across Project Gladiator's creator, Wilma Calvin, 
The locals assumed that there was witchcraft happening and captured one of the project members, Barbara Morse, though the locals were being secretly led by AIM. After threatening the entire project mem- project, they were being aimed. Stop that. <laughs> After threatening the entire project, uh, the locals were slain by Man-Thing. He returns to the swamp not long after. Wilma appears to recognize him as Ted, but was shot and goes into a coma. After wandering through the swamp for a time, he stumbles onto the writer's mansion, and Man-Thing and Salas appear to be separated. Salas was then looked after by the family that lived there. However, this turned out to be an illusion conjured by the writer, who was using Salas to finish the book uh, by bringing the characters to life. Now, I just mentioned Barbara Moore. She's going to come back. She is the... She will eventually become the superhero Mockingbird. And is incredibly interesting in her own right as they bounced her around about 16 different times before being like, what if she became a superhero? But that's not really going to come up here. With the transformation of Ted Salas into Man-Thing virtually unknown to the world at large, two of his former colleagues, the aforementioned Barbara Morse and Paul Allen, bring in Kazar, Lord of the Jungle, to try and track him down. Mm-hmm. Now, I, <laughs> we definitely read these issues. I don't think you did. No, but... They are technically not Tarzan is absolutely incredible. And there's a really not because they're good, but because they're a lot of fun. There is a bit where Kazar walks in through a door and then like two panels later jumps out through the window to like get through. But one, he's just like, no, screw that door that was right there. But two, the way they illustrate it, it kind of looks like that meme of Ralph Wiggum being thrown through the Simpsons front window. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. And I just imagine him going, I'm in danger. (laughs) This entire bit gets really complicated, by the way. But at the same time, AIM is returned and is trying to obtain Salas' formula. AIM captures Man-Thing in a pit after Kazar had begun to follow him. Because everyone just seems to think Man-Thing is super easy to defeat by way of Hit or spear or ball bullets ball. Hey, the ball almost works, but it did. We'll get there. <laughs> Confronting aim. Kazar also falls into the pit and has a short fight in which man thing had the upper hand. Man thing was then knocked out by aim going in to kill the pair. They're saved by Zabu. Zabu, by the way, is Kazar's saber tooth tiger. In case you don't know who Kazar is, which would mean you're a random sane person. Yeah. Kazar's amazing. Zabu's pretty good, too. (laughs) Spider-Man is allergic to him, and it's the dumbest joke that I am in love with. (laughs) Pulling the unconscious man-thing out of the pit, the duo, Kazar and Zabu, pull him back to the lab, where they discover that Paul and Wilma have been captured by AIM, while Kazar leaves. Man-Thing slips through his bars and follows them to the AIM secret base. After discovering the truth about Paul working for AIM, Man-Thing busts through the wall of the base and rescues Kazar. After everyone gets out, Man-Thing blows up the base with him inside. That is poorly explained, but basically, Paul worked for AIM. Barbara, a.k.a. Mockingbird, knows that Paul works for AIM. Paul was her fiancé. She is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who got married or engaged to Paul to expose him. She recruits Kazar to help for reasons I do not fully understand. Tarzan powers. Because it was Kazar's book that they were telling this story in. They all get sent after the man thing because they know that Paul's going to try to get Ted's stuff and it's in the Mm -hmm. same area. So man thing is, this is 
not the first example of Man-Thing being kind of apocryphal to the story where he's a major component of, but there it is. Barbara will then, Mockingbird will then go on to hang out and be the romantic interest to Kazar for a while before becoming like three or four different superheroes in her own right before settling on Mockingbird and marrying Hawkeye. And that goes about as well as you would expect someone marrying Hawkeye. Hawkeye? Hawkeye. So poorly. Ellen returns to the swamp with her... What was he? He was a uh, her psychiatrist who had fallen in love with her. Mm-hmm. Because that mm-hmm. was another thing that I guess was just okay Mm-mm. in the earlier parts of the 20th <laughs> century. I mean, it really wasn't uncommon for years, especially in the first half of the 20th century. Uh, she's slowly going insane and keeping her face wrapped up at all times. She removes the bandages to reveal her face is fully healed and no longer feels scared of the Man-Thing, who didn't realize who she truly was, mostly because Man-Thing isn't really aware of much of anything. Yes. Man-Thing's memory lasts about ten minutes, and he only kind of understands stuff at the best of times. And then he gets punched and gets angry, and then it all goes away. Ted Lasso would love him. He's a goldfish. (laughs) And he's a Ted. (laughs) And he's a Ted. I mean, he'd probably really love Ted. Side note, we will get into this when we watch Werewolf by Night, but they are the biggest cowards on Earth for calling him Ted Ted instead of the entire time. time. Yeah. Showing no fear, the two then touch. Due to showing no fear, Ellen was not burnt, and sensing her sadness, Man-Thing leaves. During this time, Man-Thing meets the young witch Jennifer Kale and her brother, Andrew Kale, when they accidentally summon Thog the Neverspawn, using the Tome of Zerid Nah. Now, we've met Jennifer Kale back in our witches episode, mm-hmm. and we briefly meet Andrew when he's immediately murdered, yes. summoning a demon. Mm-hmm. Things don't go well for Andrew. His second demon. <laughs> I think we mentioned Thog the Netherspawn back in our Hell Lords episode, because he's listed at one point think so? as a Hell Lord, yes. but I didn't really bring him up because at the time I couldn't find much on him. That name is insane. <laughs> Thog the Neverspawn. I love Thog. That's that's such a good, stupid name. Initially unaware that they'd done so, the Kales returned to their town of Citrusville while being followed by Thog and the Man-Thing, because Man-Thing just... He's curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like a goat. Yeah. Sees something, follows it for a while, forgets what's happening, wanders off. Almost happens. We just had baby goats at the house, so goats are strongly oh, on the mind right Congratulations. now. There's nine of them. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Confronting Thog... Man-Thing is initially able to destroy its original host before being summoned fully. Returning to fight this, returning the fight to the swamp, Thog was thrown back into his home dimension of Sominus. Thog returns to seek revenge by bringing Man-Thing to his home dimension and offers him the chance to become human once more if he kills the Kale family. Refusing to do so, Salus is then reverted. Thog summons the Man-Thing turns him into Salus, who is mostly just confused about what's happening to him at that moment, because Mm. he is not really aware of any of his time as the Man-Thing. The Man-Thing has vague memories of being Salus. Mostly at the, like, this seems familiar for some reason. The imagery is really nice for that, too. Oh, well. Yeah. With the mirrors. Salus, freaking out about being a... coming a monster again, is like, nope, not gonna murder this random teenager's... These random teenagers. 
Says no, reverted back to the Man-Thing, and Thog is once again destroyed because the Man-Thing is significantly cooler than Thog. The Kaos then realize they're still in the swamp and everything is an illusion that Man-Thing only manages to break when he realizes that his touch wasn't burning someone who knew fear. He's like, wait, like, this, <laughs> is, this is the whole thing I do. What's happening? <laughs> this is what I do. The, Ka the Kales observe strange outbreaks of violence due to the takeover of human minds and souls by demons of the underworld. Deciding to assemble the cult, the cult of Zeridna, which I feel like we haven't mentioned before this, but their grandfather is the leader of the cult of Zeridna. Crazy. They prepare a ritual that they hope will block the demon's entry to the Earth Realm. Jennifer Kale and the Man-Thing disappear and reappear in chains in an otherworldly dimension. Here, they meet Dakim the Enchanter, <laughs> who is the most stereotypical-looking wizard of all time. Also behaves like a stereotypical wizard. At first, I was kind of like, Merlin? No. No. He reminds, Thankfully. He <laughs> reminds me of the stereotypical wizard from the uh, Dragonlance books. Fizban? Yes. Fizban, yeah. Yes. Who I also enjoy. There's something about Dakeem that I enjoy, even though he is a objectively bad character. He's a slime ball. <laughs> yeah. He's a weird creep that's like, want to learn magic? Well, you better dress in this metal bikini. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. This is how you learn magic. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Dakeem needed to recover the Tome of Zared Na, and the Tome was originally used to summon Thog. Dakeem was aware of the demonic invasion of Earth and told Jennifer that the Man-Thing is the guardian of the Nexus of All Realities, which becomes a bigger thing later on in his stories, and I expect it to be a way bigger part of these original issues. I, I mean, they're important, yeah. but they're not, like... Pivotal. Yeah. For how early it was brought up, I thought it was going to be a bigger thing. Yeah. Side note, forgot to mention this beforehand. Conway talked about how uh, him, Jim Starlin, and Steve Gerber used to wander around New York in the 70s taking acid and then come home and write comic books. I can see it in mm -hmm. some of these where it's like, this was after an acid weekend, wasn't it, Steve? Yeah. Anyways, as the guardian of the nexus of all realities, Man-Thing can prevent the doorways between worlds from being opened but must survive a trial by combat. The Man-Thing is forced to fight the bomber, the bomber, the barbarian Mongu. Mongu's battle axe was ineffective against the Man-Thing because he's literally just Swamp Monk, and the Swamp Monster fights back with his burning touch, winning the fight. Dakeem returned Jennifer and the Man-Thing to the swamp. In these early issues, Man-Thing does not really face a significant physical threat. No. Most of the threats is just because Man-Thing does not understand what's happening around him, like, at all times. Like, ah! Which is kind of fun, actually. What is this? <laughs> For unknown reasons, Man-Thing then starts running amok in the city. The city being Citrusville, so I can't imagine it's that big of a city. But right. it's a little vague on the size of it throughout these. Agreed. It's also called Citrusville, so I have to imagine there's like 65 people total. Isn't doesn't the name of the city change at some point? Probably. No, well, there's, there's like, because I think they're the town is what Topeka. Oh yeah. And then the city is like the next city over, and that's Citrusville. And then at some point they go to Atlanta. Yeah. Yes, they will later mm -hmm. leave Citrusville because Citrusville is a terrible place. Yes. <laughs> a lot of death happens. <laughs> but I think like the the little town that's like right on the edge of the swamp is something different than. Citrusville. Mm -hmm. 
Anyways, Man-Thing seemingly drops dead and is taken to the Kale home. Joshua Kale told everyone the origins of the Tome of Zerednah, which had his origins stemming in ancient Atlantis. Dakim appears and takes Jennifer and the Man-Thing to an extra-dimensional nexus to try and recover the Tome, battling various forces of demons of Sominus in the process. When the cult members are captured, Jennifer and Man-Thing work together to secure the book and restore reality to normal, freeing the captured cultists. All are transported back to Earth, including the de a demon Man-Thing was fighting. Once back in the swamp, Man-Thing is able to easily overpower the demon. With everyone restored to normal, the tome vanishes and Man-Thing returns to the swamp, his bond with Jennifer seemingly severed. Mm -hmm. Man-Thing will develop a bond with various humans who do him favor favors mm -hmm. but his strongest is to jennifer kale by far even though i just had to shattered I mean, spoiler it comes back always <laughs> yeah many of man thing's early activities involve meeting many of the residents and aiding those who have been wronged usually by causing fear and scarring those who are causing strife to others including an abusive husband a racist cop a corrupt businessman who wanted to build an airport on native american land and a crashed bus i think he kills that cop Yes. It's it's an interesting issue. It's one of those... That was actually one of, of my favorite ones. I know the one you're talking about. Really I thought it was a little clunky, but it's trying a white man trying to talk about racism in the 70s, so it was inevitable. But it's the, like... It's also someone talking about racism in the 70s. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, who's really worse? The cop. The cop is Always. worse. Yeah. Um... I just, no, we'll talk about it later, yeah. whatever. We'll get into the actual comics later. Also, like, we're being really abrupt about the corrupt businessman who wanted to build on Native American land. F.A. Schist? Schist is a huge part of this story and comes up with increasingly bad plans to take out the man thing. Mostly, yeah. what if we catch him in a big ball and heat it up a lot? Well, he did kind of smush that foreman into the dirt. <laughs> yeah <laughs> there there is something kind of dukes of hazard about all of his plans to me i don't yep. know why i think it that <laughs> way but here we are man thing's first interaction with a superpowered being is when he accidentally woke up wonder an alien who had been sent to earth to escape his dying world as a baby who is totally not Superman analog. Right. <laughs> Wondar, unlike Superman, is never released from his capsule and grows up not realizing the world is bigger than his baby Catholic. spaceship. Yeah. Uh, and is just complete innocent until Man-Thing sees the capsule and just randomly decides to break it open? Yeah. Just like, well, this ain't swamp. Better <laughs> destroy it. This ain't swamp. What is it? Shake, Guess shake, I'll find out. Wondar emerges and imprints onto uh, Man-Thing like a baby chick. And Man-Thing is utterly uninterested in this because Man-Thing is, again, not really a sentient entity. Yeah. <laughs> like, he kind of, he's like a jellyfish floating <laughs> on the currents of emotion. I actually really love that description. He probably smells about as good as a jellyfish. He probably too. smells way worse <laughs> than a jellyfish. Everybody comments on his smell. Man-Thing and Wondar initially fight. However, Man-Thing just decides this isn't worth my time and leaves, and causing Wondar to go through several temper tantrums. 
Man-Thing is later one of the many heroes involved in defending the Earth from the hordes of the Dark Dimension when Dormammu attempts to invade Earth. Dormammu. Man-Thing then teams up with the Thing to take down the Molecule Man's quote-unquote son after he appeared in the swamp. You and I definitely read this. I don't think it was in the Man-Thing series itself because it was a Marvel 2-in-1. Oh, yeah, no. The Thing had initially arrived in the swamp because he felt that Man-Thing had been stealing his thunder by being another Thing-based monster because in the 70s, the Thing was a toxic masculinity jerk. Just ready to swing at anybody anything. for any reason. Really? Anything? Anything. Was anything. that on purpose or yeah. are you just a bad person? <laughs> yes to both. <laughs> During the initial confrontation, Molecule Man turns both Thing and Man-Thing back to their human form, leading to another very confused Ted Salas being like, What? N- but Wait. <laughs> why am I mostly naked in a swamp with another mostly naked man? <laughs> Also, every time I hear Molecule Man, I just think of Particle Man, and it's now stuck in my head. Particle Man. Well, it's from one of the greatest albums of all time, so here we are. Molecule Man then attempts to teleport away, but can't teleport the past the swamp due to the Nexus. Ted is unable to remember anything past the accident, and the pair travel, so he doesn't seem to remember his experience with Thog either. I think everything is happening so fast, and the, oh my god, I just got blown up is kind of overwhelming the immediate stuff. Anyways, they return to fight Molecule Man. Turning the pair back into the monster's forms, Man-Thing attacks the Thing and uses the Man-Thing Swamp Mud. And using the Man-Thing Swamp Mud, the Molecule Man is defeated. I honestly don't remember how that ended. I remember they had this whole thing of, like, Ted making a pretty noble sacrifice. Does the Thing at least... Ben Grimm remembers being Ben Grimm. Ben is still yeah. Ben. He's just big and Orange. rocky and awesome now. Bald. Man-Thing is just sad. Yeah, every time he turns back into it, you're like, oh no. There's something <laughs> ethereally beautiful about the entire thing, but like, Ted is profoundly depressing. Yeah. Man-Thing later finds himself on a strange world below a floating castle where he was picked up by Jennifer Kale with the savage Korok the Barbarian following from behind. Korok catches up with Kale and the Man-Thing and attacks the two of them. However, this appeared to be nothing more than a dream of Jennifer Kale. Korok is then transported to Earth's dimension through a jar of peanut butter and resumes his attack on Jennifer. However, when Joshua and Andy... Joshua being her grandfather and Andy being her good-for-nothing little brother. He'll die soon, it's okay. Yeah, like 30 years later, but still. <laughs> Korok believes himself surrounded and flees the swamp, or flees into the swamp. The Kales are soon visited by Dakeem the Enchanter, who had come to tell the Kales about the disruption in the nexus of all realities caused by the construction being done in the swamp by Schist. Who I feel like that name was... The same joke that my geology teacher always made. This well, is a piece of schist. Well, and it's F-A schist. Fascist. Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. There's, yeah. Gerber is many things. Subtle is not one of them. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he is not. Anyways, Takim had also come to train Jennifer in his mystical knowledge, and it reveals the dream world is just a different place, and people are often teleported there. Meanwhile, in the swamp, Korak meets the Man-Thing, attacking the creature in a fury. He once again saw that 
No matter what he did, he could not harm the Man-Thing, and so he stopped fighting. While lamenting over his plight, Korak is visited by Howard the Duck, who had also found himself transported to the Earth's dimension as well. Howard and Korak team up to find a way back to their respective realities, traveling through the swamp with Man-Thing in tow, because he's there, so why not? Can I, can I say that I wish all of this didn't make as much sense as it does? Yeah. <laughs> it's a nonsense story. Korak forms himself from peanut butter. Emmy and Mac are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah that happened. That's how yeah. I remember that. That was interesting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, the the peanut butter knife turned to a turned to a sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, that, that that happened. Korak goes to the F.A. Schist construction site after hearing a blood curdling scream. Okay, I did not notice the fascist thing until you said it, and I'm simultaneously embarrassed and annoyed now. <laughs> <laughs> also, I want to mention we don't know. We never saw Howard the Duck before. He just randomly shows up. We never see him again. <laughs> I was, because I've heard about this story. Again, the Gerber uh, Man Thing story is one of the most legendary comic runs of all time. It's really good. I thought Howard was a huge character in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he does show up uh, in what, that like eight page oh. short story in Giant Size Man Thing number yeah, four? Yeah. I kind of skimmed that one, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Every once in a while, Gerber's like, I'm writing a novel now. And I'm like, uh, or was it number three? Uh, yeah, I don't remember. One of those, anyway. Spotting demons attacking the site, the demons soon turned their attention towards Man-Thing, Korok, and Howard, and closed in for the kill. Man-Thing, Korok, and Howard are attacked by the demons, who happen to be followers of the Overmaster. Who is just Thog. Spoiler alert, it's Thog. <laughs> Spoil- anytime it's a demon, it's actually just Thog. <laughs> Pretty much. He's all of them. I know it'll come up in a few minutes, but just the Overmaster. Overmaster? Uh, being who seeks to take over all of existence. Fighting a losing battle against the nigh-indestructible demons, the trio are saved by a last-minute intervention by Dakeem, who asks them to join him in his stopping of the Overmaster. Uh, saying that it was very important that these specific people basically form their own little fellowship of the ring. Yeah. Which is confusing, because you're right, Howard does absolutely nothing to aid in this. Except... Nope. Nothing. Well, no, actually, actually, I take that back. If you have a point of where Howard is useful, please bring it up. Because well, just... in the Fellowship, the wizard has to sacrifice himself for Balrog, but instead he's like, no, I got the duck. <laughs> <laughs> the duck can just fall off the edge. Yeah. Didn't he just, like, trip? Like, he's then, not even, yeah, like... he tripped off, and then the couple panels later, he's like, you made us fly, couldn't you made Howard fly? He's like, I'm old, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, but now that that happened, maybe I should shield you guys. <laughs> yeah. Telling you, man, fist bam. Yeah. Also, no, because then he would have cast Featherfall. Yeah. I had never seen such early Howard appearances, so I just know him how he looks from, like, his oh, series yeah. onwards. Because he's rough. Howard is massively redesigned. Also, he's a mobster. He's... Howard's not my favorite character, but he is interesting. I this Howard... This. this isn't quite accurate, but this Howard makes me think of, like... The Feebles version of Donald the Duck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did I tell you that the new Muppet series... Made the Feebles canon? Yes. Yeah, I'm not into that, but I was also <laughs> laughing so hard. That's for a different show. This Howard looks more like a Looney Tune. Yeah. Like, much more uh, Daffy. While later Howard recreations look much more like a Disney character and kind of follows more into the, like... Donald Duck look if Donald Duck was in, like... 1920s New York with a handgun. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, the, the first panels he shows up in, he's next to a couple other XP characters that look like it's supposed to be Mickey and somebody yeah. else, except looking the same style as him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although they call it Duckburg, so here we are. Ducktails. <laughs> Look, if you're a millennial, there's certainly actions that are just Pavlovian. <laughs> I didn't even really watch DuckTales that much. Anyways, Dakeem asked them to join in stopping the Overmaster, blah, blah, blah. Their first task was to rescue Jennifer, who'd been captured by the Overmaster's followers. Explaining they needed to realign the nexus of all realities, the foursome begin to hop across dimensions while losing Howard on the journey in the process. When the now trio arrives at the center of the Nexus, they succeed in realigning it. However, it also gave the Overmaster and his Congress of Realities, which is a good name that I forgot was part of the story, access to the realm of Theria, where they hoped to kill the gods that resided there and take over. There, the Overmaster unmasked himself, revealing himself to be the demon Thog, was which no was difference. about... huh? There was no difference in his look. Which also was about as surprising in that one as it was in this story where I've already told you it was Thog. <laughs> the Man-Thing battles Thog and his minions while burning those who fear him, and when Thog became afraid of plunging into the moat of Therian water, which is so pure that it hurts all demons, Man-Thing grabs him and begins to burn him as well. With his hands melting, Thog tries to break free and ends up falling in the moat of pure water, which seemingly kills him. With their master defeated, the Congress and its armies retreat back to where they came from. The gods of this realm were revealed to be two dogs under the care of two farmers. When the Man-Thing touches one of the dogs, they were shown, all the, uh, were shown the full of reality before being sent back to their respective homes. Again, pretty sure Acid was involved in this story. And they were like, dogs Dog like God, God, man. God is, what if God was dogs? <laughs> I expected King Arthur to pop out of that castle at any moment. It was some of the most nonsense I've ever read, and we've read some nonsense. I like, I liked it. It was fun, but it was... It I was also nonsense. legit thought that, like, Man-Thing was going to get some sort of power-up from the super pure water. Same. Yeah, that would have made sense. Sentient Instead of how he gets powered up later, we'll get there. We also, Thog <laughs> later ends up trapped in Theria, and it's like endless torture, and I'm like, you were trying to take this place over. Like this is on you. Buddy. This is literally no one's fault but your own. This is an Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark situation. Like we should have just let you in. <laughs> also, is another point. This <laughs> this guy's was this another on the nose. Like corporations are bad. This is the devil. <laughs> this is a guy with a business suit and a suitcase. <laughs> Wait, he's a demon. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. Back on Earth, Man-Thing meets Richard Rory, who will actually appear through several Steve Gerber stories. I love Richard. Richard Rory is a lot of fun. He's, Richard needs to be used all the time now, in my he's opinion. He's very annoying in his first issue or two, where he's like, I'm God's mistake. I'm professional, like... Bungler. Yeah. yeah. But he's also not wrong. <laughs> oh... But he like has the worst luck. Everything yeah. bad that can happen to Richard Rory does happen to Richard Rory. It's probably his hidden superpower. Every time he meets a cute gal, she shacks up with the very next guy she sees after Always. him. He does briefly <laughs> date She-Hulk, though, so, like, good job, Rory. Good job, Rory. <laughs> I don't think it really goes anywhere. He was one of those, a lot of comic creators will have their, like, this is my... 
this yeah. is my character. Yeah, because he's he's Gerber before before Gerber randomly is like we'll get to it. <laughs> Anyways, he rescues Rory from an alligator attack. When the man thing finishes killing the gator, he kills a lot of alligators. It's actually a brutal panel. Like he snaps that alligator's back in half, and I was like. He either snaps the back in half or snaps the jaw open in a lot of stuff. And or like, slams oh, him against a tree. tree. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, for someone who protects the swamps, he murders a lot of alligators and snakes. Like, yes. <laughs> and trees. Usually using one of the other three items. <laughs> uh, when the... God, I love this sentence. When the Man-Thing finishes killing the gator, Richard tries to get the Man-Thing to administer first aid to his injuries, but blocks out to the blood loss, and Man-Thing just dips. <laughs> just like, you gotta help me, man. And Man-Thing's like, and what? He doesn't just dip. He tried to do a little bit. True, but he kind of just like... But yeah, he just did. That didn't work. <laughs> Richard, meanwhile, meets a woman named Ruth Hart, who's... Kind of just the expression of the failure of the hippie movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, fascist, yes, I'm just going to call him that from now on, returns and wants to destroy the man thing, so he hires Professor Slaughter. <laughs> Got my PhD. Who is evil, and you kind of have to be when your real name is just Professor Slaughter. Like, that's not a Doctor Doom situation. That's... I got my Doctor Doom. How much would it suck to be, like, a... What is it? A pediatrician that's like a kid's doctor? Yeah. That's like, hey, kids, my name's Professor Slaughter. No, come back. Like, I, uh, I would definitely, if I was in that situation, I would definitely be Dr. S. Laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Anyways, Professor Slaughter offers to deal with the man thing. Meanwhile, back at the swamp, Ruth and Richard are silently watched by the man thing. Uh, cause I guess they're interesting, but the muck monster eventually leaves the two to give them some privacy and wanders around the swamp. Here he runs into the skull crushers, the biker gang, which Ruth used to be the part of Ruth was on the run from her, I guess, boyfriend slash gang leader yeah. who was the leader of the skull crushers who had been skimming off the top and blamed Ruth for it. Sweet. Thanks to heroin sales, because heroin's bad, man. I mean, heroin is bad, man, don't get me wrong. But, uh, but also there's a very after-school PSA level of let's take on the Hells Angels, I mean the Skull Crushers. It was the 70s. I had flashbacks to the first season of Twin Peaks for some reason. <laughs> Anyways. Actually, that's really high on me. I need to sit down and watch that. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Uh, when the Skull Crushers see the creature, they attack it and find out nothing works against him because I guess hitting Swamp Muck with a chain doesn't. You just get your chain stuck. Much. Yeah. And then he walks away. <laughs> he just My chain! With the chain. Uh, which Snake was pretty mad about. <laughs> yeah. Like it took my chain. Yeah, all Snake really gets out of this is he loses his chain and he gets burned because he's afraid of the muck monster. In fairness, I don't blame people. Man-Thing's kind of freaky looking. Man-Thing also brutal. Anyways. When the Man-Thing finally departs, Snake vows to get the creature. I guess. Meanwhile, the Man-Thing finds himself drawn to the Slaughter Room, a device designed to kill the Man-Thing by the Professor Slaughter, which emanated sonic vibrations from inside it. 
However, the creature managed to destroy the device by throwing chains at its controls. <laughs> With the power of chain, he escapes. <laughs> Professor Slaughter did not factor into his equations the fact that Man-Thing was going to show up with a chain embedded in him. He hadn't even met Ghost Rider yet, so he didn't know how powerful chain, chain. is as a weapon. <laughs> Especially flaming chains. <laughs> At the same time, Ruth arrives, followed shortly by Snake and by Richard. Both end up at blows, but when the Man-Thing indifferently threw away the chains it used to free itself, the chain strikes Snake, killing him on accident. <laughs> Both Schist and Hargood, Slaughter, immediately flee the scene after that. Also, it's revealed that Snake had been, you know, ripping off the rest of them. He's now dead, and the gang decides they're now cool with Rory and Ruth. Um, yeah, they're like, oh no, you're homies. It was Your just him. What up? <laughs> and actually, like, died to protect him, but that will yeah. come up soon. Yeah, they got absolutely demolished. Wow, I'm looking at this. This doesn't even, like, I, I didn't bring in the uh, Fool Killer oh. at all, which was a wild set of things. And another Gerber character that he keeps bringing back. Yeah. Isn't, wait, doesn't Fool Killer, isn't Fool Killer the one to kill the, the, the bikers? The bikers? Yeah. Yeah. With that, that laser gun thing. Mm -hmm. Fool Killer will have a, his own miniseries in the 80s. Yeah. There's like four different Fool Killers. How about, how about Deathstalker? Just all these. How about the angry Viking? <laughs> toxic masculinity given comic form. What about Jennifer Kale? Jennifer Kale comes up a lot. She's, She's in Witches. Honestly, more than she should based off her readings here. She was in Witches again. <laughs> Uh, Fool Killer is a preacher, I guess preacher's apprentice, who thought that he was so perfect that any time he found sin, he must murder people. Yeah, it was wild. That's normal. With a kind of Zorro-looking costume and a... and a semi. <laughs> you gotta get places, man. <laughs> that he kept his... teacher... Taxidermied? Yeah, I guess not dead. Like, I don't know where Fool Killer got all of that technology. I don't... I think it was from his teacher, because his teacher's, like, in that tube. Yeah, but his teacher was just a preacher. So? <laughs> Why does a preacher have, like, stasis technology? Wasn't... Wasn't Blade's sidekick called Preacher in the movies? No. Whistler. 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 That's not Whistler. Don't do this to me. <laughs> well, they die either way. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Okay, so we ex that was actually one of my favorite bits of this run, and I just explained it terribly. <laughs> but uh, Fool Killer's a weirdo who thinks that he's the next Jesus and has to kill anyone who's not perfect. Yeah, and then they, he makes a mistake and yeah. can't handle it and gets burned by the touch of the man thing. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Shocker. No, that's a different character. He doesn't appear. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, F.A. Schist's wife... Who's married to fascism? I completely skipped a lot of stuff, and I apologize here. Um, because we also skipped that random bit where the uh, man thing finds the fountain of youth. Yep. Because it turns out Schist has been trying to break in, and... That was super cool. A lot of conquistadors. Roman centurions. No, that's right, conquistadors, not centurions. We're living there, and there's a whole thing, and... I'm not sure how to explain that one, boys. That one was... I, it was just the Fountain of Youth. He finds the Fountain of Youth with Schist was after. 
Turns out that using the Fountain of Youth on yourself... You're supposed to bathe in it, not drink it. That's it. If you bathe in it, you live forever. If you drink it, you get turned into a purple version of the alien greys. It's kind of what they look like. And also live forever? And also live forever, but it's bad. <laughs> and the the not greys were attempting to use Man-Thing to, uh, yeah. to undo their curse. But it didn't work. <laughs> but it didn't work, so they just sent him off on his way, and Schist is now not dead, but not it it just having a bad time. Yeah, I remember some of those panels. Yeah. I read that whole thing. That is as close as we're getting to Man Thing is so hard to talk about. Such a good series. It's really amazing. Anyways, well, all of this also makes it sound like Man-Thing is far more active in these stories than he is. No, Once again, every he issue is a is floating him jellyfish. Wandering in, being I mean, like, I feel emotion. This is interesting. Wasn't that you want me to come with you? Sure. Yeah. Wasn't that the one where he partially turned back into a human? Yeah. And then mm -hmm. got fully turned back into Man-Thing in the, the weird subterranean laboratory? But mostly, it didn't even turn him back, because he... Got some semblance of awareness, but mostly it just stopped him from being a swamp muck thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Schist's wife, Vivian, uh, hires Dr. Dane Gavin to kill or capture the Man-Thing because she decided that the Man-Thing was, um... A problem. Killed her husband. Meanwhile, her daughter's like, I don't think he... I... You know Dad was a fascist, right? <laughs> like, literally... <laughs> Anyways, uh, he chooses the former, uh, placing Man-Thing on display in the New York Museum of Natural History, where we get this very strange moment where the thing's like, that's Ted, should I say something to read? Nah, he's busy and is already leaving. <laughs> like, you could have taken the five minutes. Right. Or, in the, like, weeks that they had him here, been like, read. By the way. Read, that's a dude. <laughs> read. <laughs> I actually we, don't blame We know like, him, Reed. Like, Mr. Fantastic and Iron Man, Tony Stark, are both like, sure, put him in there, like, whatever. But I don't actually blame them on that one, because if you don't know the details, it's no worse than keeping something in a zoo, which we can have debates on, but, like, mm -hmm. Man Thing has killed a couple of people at this point. This is a not couple? the worst. <laughs> he killed a lot of people at Man this point. Man Thing's killed a couple dozen people at this point. <laughs> so, like... It's not the worst solution if you don't know. That's Ted. I mean, the man thing, I think at this man? point, melted someone's hands to his face so he couldn't see and then accidentally <laughs> ran him over with a bulldozer. That's pretty brutal. Man thing is like the most innocent killer of all time. <laughs> yeah, right? like, <laughs> he was probably like, oh, here, here, little guy, patting him on the head, just melts his hands to his face. Don't be scared. Anyways, they place him on display in the New York Museum of Natural History, where visitors' fears of the man-thing sent him on a berserker rampage through the city until Dr. Gavin and Schist's daughter, Carolyn, take him back to the swamp. Man-thing later faces the manifested hate of Maybell Torque. Hmm. That's the one that I was like, that's a beautiful two-issue story that is basically a love letter to, I'm pretty sure, Gerber's partner's dead dog. Mm-hmm. Because the whole story is really about how Dog just wants to protect these two people. Mm -hmm. And it ends with Maybell Torque and her weirdo husband happy together, even though I'm like, Maybell Torque had no redemption during this. Not a single piece. Nor is it ever explained how 
Medusa came out. How Maybell Torque's fears are becoming mad. I guess that could be they've lived in the nexus of all reality swamp for 30 I years. I think that's, like, yeah, I think that's the best explanation you're ever going to get. <laughs> swamp bad, but also good, but bad. Swamp is swamp. Uh, he also faces the Demons of Liberation, who were actually scarred war veterans who were attempting to force people to pay attention to the fact that Vietnam is bad for everybody. Wandering into the port Everglades, the Man-Thing is trapped in the Marietta cargo ship and caught up in a two-century-old curse involving the Satyr Cortez, the immortal crew of the pirate Captain Fate, and the oceanographer Dr. Morris Spinner. Most of this, he is straight up in a coma for. Mm -hmm. Even for most Man-Thing stories, he is not involved in this. I mean, he probably wasn't even supposed to be there, so... <laughs> I'm supposed to be here today. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's just clerks. <laughs> Turns out that Dr. Morris Spinner was the reincarnation of the former captain of, Do of Captain Fate's crew. Fate had traded the original Mora to Cortez in exchange for his treasure, mistaking the satyr's benevolent intent, which... No. No. Every everything's like, really? The satyr didn't mean mind anything but no the satyr promised gold for a woman the woman had no say in any of this that is not benevolent intent but mora realizing she's been traded for gold for the crew kills cortez and curses them all however cortez doesn't really die and the curse mostly just makes them like immortal awesome flying pirates who can go into space yeah so basically the crew of the black pearl from the first pirates of the caribbean movie with more but cool stuff yes that's a disney ride mm -hmm. thank you <laughs> <laughs> anyways <laughs> it's pirates of the caribbean on space mountain <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, in this very confusing story, Mora randomly decides I'm going to stay with Cortez after all. This is all in Florida. And they sink back into the ocean. The pirate crew all dies because I guess they can now. And Swamp Thing just kind of floats back to to uh, the Everglades. It's an allegory for how mm -hmm. Disney doesn't care about their employees. I don't think it was, but you know what? It actually fits better than whatever weird attempt at romance this story was. I he this author is not the best at romance. <laughs> the 70s was not the best at romance, my guy. Also fair, but particularly <laughs> <laughs> The Bog Beast then joins old allies Korek, Akeem, and Jennifer Kale against the extra-dimensional sorcerer Clonus and the warrior Mortak. In a twist of fate, you know what? Actually, I skipped another part there, because just whatever. Clonus and Mortak end up killing Dakim, but he doesn't really die because he's a sorcerer, so whatever. And Jennifer Kale takes over her powers and sends them away into the future in pods? Cocoons. Cocoons? And at the time, it's implied to be the far, far future, but later on, it turns out to be like... Like three weeks later. Ten issues later? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like... Also, did we skip the story where there's that drunk driver that killed everyone on the bus except for the kid, the, the soldier, and the nurse? We did. We also skipped the wild clown story. Oh, my yeah. God. Where 
the ghost of a clown kidnaps people into a uh, into the mind into his biopic into his biopic that this man thing is involved in oh my it's some of the best stuff but again all of the a lot of these things man things just kind of there there he just shows like why is there a dead clown and then it went on a wild ride literally that issue <laughs> opens with a clown shooting himself in the head yes god i love this 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 ride. and that's the least depressing part of that story <laughs> yeah i'm not even making fun of clowns there that's just some dark stuff Anyways, skipping forward, yeah, there's a whole thing of a, of a man causes an a accident and various people have to struggle to escape the swamp and the man thing's kind of trying to help, but also all die everyone dies. And the child, that's it. And the man thing wanders off again. Peace. <laughs> oh yeah, they got dropped off at the fascist place, the woman and child. They were like, the foreman's like, there he is. <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> that foreman could not figure out bullets do not work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, a man-thing-shaped candle created after his New York rampage was drugged and given to Ted Salas' former lover, St. Cloud, by her jilted lover, Chuck, causing her to see man-thing hallucinations. Exposed to the drug himself, a terrified Chuck badly burns his face on the candle. Okay, I did not fully understand the story, and I'll be honest, I started to just... Skim. St. Clair, St. Cloud, is a weird random hippie artist who makes a man, who buys a man thing candle to get inspiration. Her sometimes boyfriend, the blind guy, who's really into her and they're really into each other, but she's got that whole hippie artist thing going on, so they're not really like connected, man. Mm hmm. He's like, hey, that candle's super evil. I can tell because I'm blind. She's like, no, it's okay. Turns out that Chuck, her former boyfriend, had drugged the candle. I guess drugs? Yeah. Even though it clearly seemed to be some kind of magic spell because wild stuff was happening. It's peyote. Caused her to hallucinate various memories of when she dated Ted Salas briefly. Mm-hmm. Which was just complete random happenstance. I'm guessing the form of the man thing caused it to have some weird stuff. Chuck was trying to make use this drugging thing to make her fall in love with him again, I guess. It was weird. It was... I like. I really liked the story, but it was convoluted. Trying to say it out loud is worse than explaining witches was. No. <laughs> I said worse than explaining, not worse than reading. <laughs> Anyways, it ends with him being burned because the spirit of the man thing kind of gets involved, but in this case, through a candle. Mm -hmm. Drug candle. The man thing gets involved in the rampage of the Mad Viking, who was an old guy being forced into retirement by the Union because he's like 70. But instead, because of what I have to assume is steroids, you do not look that good at 65 to 70 without steroids. The old guy goes on a rampage that there's no real men around anymore and kills a glam rocker. Kills a glam rocker who's also like a nihilist glam rocker. 
There's a lot of nihilism in yeah. this. Yeah. It was the 70s. <laughs> it's also 2023. <laughs> let's, let's really not understate how much Charles Manson messed up the next decade. All the other serial killers, but Charles Manson was really one of the big ones. There's also a thing going on about the ghost of a dead fat kid yeah. getting revenge because... That was my favorite of the giant sizes. That was an interesting, weird story where the kid is miserable because he was fat and everyone's trying to be like, everyone loved him and he loved us after the kid dies. It is kind of messed up, though, that they put the story about the fat kid in the giant-sized issue. Yeah, it is. In fairness, also, it's never actually blaming the kid for being fat. It's that everyone blamed him yeah. for yeah, being yeah, yeah. fat. Like, there's some really interesting... <laughs> Comments on fat phobia that I didn't expect from something that came out in 1973. During this time, the Man-Thing is thrown into a sewage treatment plant where it's thought that he's dissolved and destroyed, but instead he... Levels up. Levels up, merges with the chemicals for a while, and kind of becomes a bubble monster for a bit. Yeah. But what it does is it levels him up so he becomes his own biome, basically. And while he does need swamps, he no longer is entirely forced to live in the Everglades to survive. Right. He can, because before he would like leave and start to like go catatonic. Mm. And they were like, let's make him part of the Marvel universe wider. Meanwhile, the mad Viking is still going on on his rampage. Uh, however, Citrusville starts to kind of go on his side, even though like the day before they were afraid of him because terrible old people. It tracks. Basically, our problems with boomers today. Yeah. It tracks. But with uh, boomers, as the kids. Toxic masculine populist leader gets the religious right behind him and starts enforcing a bunch of <laughs> Nazi shit. Including book burnings. <laughs> yeah. This was the one, as I said, that I was like, well, this is a little too... On the nose. Yeah. Meanwhile, poor Rory, who's just been involved in, like, half these stories without coming up here is like oh this place sucks it's pretty bad yeah so he bounces with a high schooler who wanted to escape and then finds out afterwards hi that's a high schooler i guess it didn't occur to me that the high schooler is under 18 and just kidnapped a kid anyways now find out now finding out that he's able to live away from the swamp the man thing is brought to by richard Rory to georgia where he escapes he then fights the demon Earthhold, as well as the soul-stealing scavenger from and his demonic creator, Thog, whose... Hey! Thog had been creating nightmare boxes to, to basically steal the dark energy from various people in an attempt to... collapse reality? Okay, yeah. I'm gonna be real honest here. This final issue of this run is nonsensical, even on a nonsensical terms. And I think they told Gerber they were canceling the book mid-storyline, and he just had to wrap it up real fast. And I actually love how he did it, where it, it the whole thing turns into inserting Gerber into the story. Mm -hmm. But it is... Um, it doesn't make sense. Turns out that Dakim has been showing up to Steve Gerber to tell him the stories of the Man-Thing being created into comics. It's some trippy stuff that kind of taps into older stories where Stan and Jack, Stanley and Jack Kirby, would put themselves in Fantastic Four issues. Mm -hmm. I love, though, that the way that that story is told is it's also told as it's 
His resignation letter? As his, not just his resignation letter, but his correspondence letting his friend Len know what was up. Len Wein, the creator of Swamp Thing. That tickled me. I was just like. Who I think might have been his editor at this time because Len Wein was one of the greatest comic book editors of all time. Um, anyways, Ted and Steve Gerber himself contaminate the boxes, foiling Thog. Uh, who is once again incinerated. All of reality just is destroyed at one point there, and it just kind of comes back. I read this issue today, and I still can't quite tell you what happened. It's a weird one. Yeah. Next time we see the Man-Thing, he's working alongside Ghost Rider, Morbius, and the Werewolf. Not so much working alongside, but all summoned by the same thing. Uh, summoned by the Starseed, who they destroy because they're kind of driven crazy by his powers, even though it turns out he was going to heal them all. Oops. After fighting the Molecule Man alongside Iron Man, the Man-Thing is captured along with the Glob, who we also skipped over, yep. by the Collector, who pitted them against the Hulk before they rebel and escape. Man-Thing later helps the psychic Andrea Rogers restore her fragmented personality and helped thwart the insane cosmic menace Bzzgjo. B-Z-Z-K apostrophe J-O-H. He drives off Despair, a rather forgettable demon, and destroys Jude the Entropic Man, who was uh, allied with the Cult of Entropy. <laughs> yes. Those guys. Trying to destroy everything and narrowly missing a chance to regain his humanity. He also encounters the extra-dimensional Micronauts, who are from the Microverse, so they're real teeny tiny. Yep. These days, I believe, called the Quantumverse, thanks to the most recent... Ant-Man. Well, that and I think... Um... I there's, think there's rights, rights issues. issues. Yes, yeah. because Micronauts are part of the Hasbro mm-hmm. rights things. Salas's mind is nearly restored by Dr. Carl Oheimer's cerebral regeneration therapy for a CIA project, but the army suspected enemy involvement and tried to protect Salas's serum by attempting to rescue Oheimer, who was slain in the process. The sentient man thing slaughters all others involved, but once back in the swamp, his mind fades. It becomes a pretty common thing at this point that Ted Salas will start to reemerge, but get lost. Mm-hmm. Another experimental project briefly transports him to the Himalayas, where he encounters a Yeti race descended from the Cro-Magnons. The sorcerer, Baron Mordo, returns him to the swamp, restores Salas' mind, and uses him as a pawn against Doctor Strange in a plot to destroy Earth. But Jennifer Kale helps the Man-Thing throw off Mordo's control and foil the plot, though Salas' mind again fades. Mordo, at this point, having tired of trying to kill the Ancient One a million times, is now just trying to kill Doctor Strange every other day. Fair. Aiding Howard the Duck against the mad monopoly of Conglomerate, the Man-Thing befriended Sheriff John Daltrey and Barbara Bannister, along whom he again mate Captain Fate and oppose yet another Thog plot. This time, Salas was cured, and writer Chris Claremont, best known for all of the X-Men comics, took his place as the Man-Thing, destroying Thog. Doctor Strange restores Claremont, but Salas' curse returned and proved irreversible. The Man-Thing was possessed by Unthink, U-N-N-T-H-I-N-N-K, one of the demon coven called the Six-Fingered Hand, who battled the Defenders in a massive plot to take over Earth. This will come up actually not too long in our future. We have a Defenders episode coming up. The Six-Fingered Hand turned out to be pawns of the Hell Lords in a scheme to use the Nexus in an aborted attempt to merge Hell and Earth. It was all really a plot by Satan, 
who was not held uh, Marduk Kurios in this, mm, okay. because this is when Satan was just Satan, Satan to get Demon Hellstrom back on his side. Mm. So this is when Satan is also arguably maybe Mephisto? Mephisto, <laughs> this was during the period where Mephisto was an aspect of Satan. Uh. Alongside Thor, Man-Thing opposes both the Man-Beast and the Bi-Beast then briefly serves as a pawn of the Mad Sorcerer and Fate, which once again leads to another rampage across New York. Back in the swamps, Salus refuses an offer from the demon Elbis to become human in exchange for his mortal soul. The government's Project Glamour develops a version of Salus's formula while planning to attack Russia with super soldiers. However, these warriors were destroyed by the Man-Thing and, and others as well. Another Salus serum derivation, this one SS-8, was used by Damien Wainscroft, Mutivate, mutating his son Deke into a power... I just hate the name Deke. I can't stop myself Deke. from saying it that way. Deke. Deke. Uh, into a powerful form until being functionally lobotomized by the Punisher. <laughs> I forgot about Functionally that. lobotomized? I don't think he actually did a lobotomy. He just did He's, the same result. He, probably with bullets. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> Alongside the Hulk, the Man-Thing encounters a new glob and was later near destroyed by the deviant Ereshkigal, which is an ancient Sumerian goddess of the dead, when she used the star brand uh, to access the Nexus in an effort to rule all of reality. Another writer with reality-warping powers uses the Man-Thing to complete his final story in the last seconds of his life. Shortly thereafter, the Man-Thing was one of the daydreamers that joined Franklin Richards on a surreal journey to accept onslaught seeming destruction of Franklin's parents. Hold on. Okay. I can do this. Franklin Richards is the son of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. He is one of the most powerful mutants ever created, having insane reality warping powers. Onslaught is the psychic form of all of the evil within inside the minds of Professor X and Magneto that forms its own entity and tries to destroy all of reality. The Avengers and the Fantastic Four are killed in the process of taking out Onslaught, but are shunted into an alternate re-earth unknowingly by Franklin Richards. However, Franklin Richards thinks his parents are dead and is accidentally summons various beings to help him deal with this, including the Man-Thing. Yes. I don't think I missed anything there. It all sounds right. The Onslaught saga was difficult enough without trying to explain it from the Man-Thing's point of view. <laughs> uh, Ashima the Listener, a Celestial who helped Franklin retrieve Onslaught's victims and establish Counter-Earth as a real planet orbiting the opposite Earth, obliterates the Man-Thing in order to stop him from blocking access to the Pocket Realm. I'm not really sure how that part comes in. Recreated via the combined energies of Asgardian Nornstones, which Loki uses to cause problems all the time. Nothing good comes from the Nornstones except no. apparently bringing back the Man-Thing. Mm. Yeah, that's a good thing. And the recent breaching of the dimensional mm -hmm. barriers, the Man-Thing... Maybe not good if you're a gator. Or a tree. Or a snake. <laughs> or a snake. <laughs> or Richard Rory, who likes the Man-Thing, but like... It doesn't good things well, don't go down no. with him around there. Anyways, the Man-Thing's form was briefly usurped by mailroom employee Carl Shuffler who was removed by Spider-Man using instructions from the virtually omniscient authority. Recent dimensional travel has shattered the nexus of all realities, and Doctor Strange recruits Ellen Brandt to help Man-Thing restore it. In the process, the Man-Thing was possessed by Cadmon. And, uh, 
The history of the men of lineage is revealed, and Salas learned that his relation with Ellen was predestined to restore his hereditary mission. Basically, Salas was predestined to become the Man-Thing to save all of reality. This came from a book where uh, one of my favorite writers, but um, he actually wrote, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head, but he wrote Craven's Last Hunt. Oh. Um, uh, he's amazing. Uh, J.M. DeMantis. Cool. Yeah. I think was trying to tap into some of that Alan Moore swamp thing of like, let's make this cerebral cosmic bigger, but it didn't. Yeah. It's supposed to be a gorgeous book though. The man thing and Cadmon recover Nexus fragments from the maddened devil slayer from Howard, the duck who was currently taking on the cult of entropy again. And from a woman named Clato in ancient Atlantis and form a Nexus blessed planet that Ellen had to destroy to save reality. That is as close as I can get to making sense of that without having had time to read man thing volume three. Fair. Their efforts to restore the Nexus were opposed by the fallen star, Mr. Terminus, the embodiment of finality who had visited the young Ted Salas over the years. Terminus, I guess Terminus, Terminus had captured Ellen's long lost son, Job Burke, and trained him as his disciple in a plot to destroy all of existence. Devil Slayer unites the remaining fallen stars, including Cadmon and uh, someone named Sorrow, to stop Terminaeus. Using the power of the final Nexus fragment, Terminaeus succeeds in shattering the healing Nexus, wiping out all of reality. However, Salus's nature as the man of the lineage, combined with his love for Ellen, even though she betrays him like six times, allows him to briefly maintain the dream of existence. He joins forces with a man named Job, who rebelled against his mentor to re, uh, reimagine the creator's dreams that had formed all of reality. All, exist all of existence was restored, with Ted and Ellen inhabiting the nexus of all realities itself, while Cadmon regained control of the Man-Thing. Job returns home to live with his adopted parents to live his life and prepare for his future destiny. Terminaeus begins to plot anew to bring about the endgame, but as it was he who had invaded Cadmon in his struggle, he had to deal with bringing about his own failure due to his inability to relinquish the love in his heart for his former wife, the being known as Sorrow. I don't understand anything I just said. I'll be honest with you, but it sounds cool and I want to read it. I'm sure it's beautiful. Or it sucks. Yeah, but Demades is a pretty <laughs> reliable writer. Shortly after, the ancient Scryer, which is a Spider-Man creature being that we don't have time to get into, mutated one of his Cabal members into the Outrider to seize the Nexus. Spider-Man helps foil this plot, and Ted and Ellen draw the consciousness of the Nexus down into the Man-Thing, merging into a powerful collective being. This merged being of Ellen, Ted, and the Man-Thing, and the Nexus, left the Earthly Spear becoming the new Nexus, and the magic of the swamp reforms the Man-Thing's original form, apparently instilling it with the residual memory of Salus's consciousness as before. Basically, undoing every confusing thing I just talked about. Cool. Continuing its subconscious mission to defend the swamp and the Nexus, it incinerated botanist Owen Candler, creator of the Salvation Seed and the Union, which had threatened to replace humanity with plant beings. Two S.H.I.E.L.D. agents later tried to get Man-Thing to sign under the Superhero Registration Act. Man-Thing doesn't seem to understand what's going on, and when one attacks him for illegal non-violent resistance, Man-Thing burns him to death. Illegal non-violent resistance. Uh, any super-powered being had to register under the Superhuman Registration Act. Mm -hmm. 
but it's the man thing. Sign here. He's not really a person. His name is Ted. <laughs> the other agent then shoots the man thing with a herbicide gun, believing he had killed him through man, uh, though man thing later reconstitutes himself from the swamp. The man thing was then slashed in half by Ares of the Dark Avengers. That's the god Ares of Greek legend. Oh my god, okay. And quote unquote bagged and tagged. However, he's later seen protecting the Moloids, who are the little oh, goblin I love Moloids. Little gobliny minions of the Mole Man, who are collected and spiriting away the Punisher's body parts after the Punisher was killed and decapitated by Dakin, the son of Wolverine. A lot happened, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this will actually come up. We will deal with Frank and Punisher in a, or Frank and Castle uh, in, I think, awesome. two episodes, three episodes mm-hmm. from now. Okay. All of this oh, happening right. under the orders of Norman Osborn. Of course. Who, at the time, had Nick Fury's job. That can't end well. It didn't. Oh, sweet. Doesn't he tried well? to invade Asgard. Uh-huh. He was also hanging out as the Super Patriot, which was... He stole the Iron Man armor and then tried to put the Captain America aesthetic over it. But he was also secretly painting his face green. So he was the Green Goblin underneath. Uh, and was being manipulated by Loki. Like, nothing good happened. <laughs> That's a mess. <laughs> After Norman was deposed during the, event- uh, uh, the events of the Siege of Asgard, Man-Thing is moved to the Raft, which is a superhuman prison. There, Hank Pym, a.k.a. Giant Man, a.k.a. Goliath, a.k.a. Yellow Jacket, a.k.a. Wasp. Hank has a lot of identities. Uh, begins to study him and creates a device which uses the Man-Thing's connection to the nexus of all realities to uh, let them teleport people, basically operating as the vehicle for a new team of Thunderbolts led by Luke Cage. Okay. So he's going to be their boom too. Yes. Turns out that Man-Thing could leave at any point he wants to, but likes hanging out with the Thunderbolts. (laughs) Because Jennifer Cale shows up Breaks him out of the raft, and he just goes back. She's like, wait, no, but Ted. <laughs> Ted. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> but she makes a deal with uh, Luke Cage that she can come visit him whenever she wants to make sure they're treating the man thing well. And it's like, I'm not supposed to let you because no one can visit the raft, but also you're a sorceress that just teleported in without asking. So sure, let's make a deal. To help shore up the fact that they realize they have no great magical protection, they trick Satana, uh, sister of Damon Hellstrom, son of Satan, to join the team, although it's later revealed that the chance to work with the Man-Thing means that she would have just done it. (laughs) <laughs> later on thanks to a combination of various of course Satana likes the man thing he's mm-hmm. interesting and powerful thanks to various energies going on and the man thing uh, evolving man thing among other things gains the ability to talk again and Gross. accidentally sends the thunderbolts traveling through time because his teleportation powers aren't working properly mm. Among other things, they end up being Jack the Ripper, encounter King Arthur's court, and trap the Thunderbolt Fixer in a time loop because he accidentally kills a younger version of himself, so they erase his memory, uh, have him look like his younger self, and just live out the rest of his life in this endless time loop. Interesting. 
I guess it's the best. I could that. not find a great recreation of the like summary of this story, and it's a lot of issues that the man thing is only tangentially involved in. It is the second greatest Thunderbolts run ever written, and I love the Thunderbolts. It's so good. Returning to the Thunderbolts, he helps during an invasion of Chicago by absorbing the hordes of monsters sent to destroy it. This caused him to briefly become giant-sized. So they can have a panel of a Godzilla-sized man-thing walking through Chicago with the Thunderbolt songbird going, It's a giant-sized man-thing! <laughs> ten out of ten. Uh, however, this body eventually burns out and Satana extracts the bulb from his old form. During the Fear Itself event, where a... The evil... I don't remember if the serpent is the older brother of Thor or the uncle of Thor. Uncle. I think uncle. Thank you. Comes back, takes over most of the world and starts sending out evil hammers, causing a whole lot of fear. Also, Hydra attacks. Like, it's a bad day. Things aren't going well for people. Howard the Duck forms a team called the Fearsome Four with She-Hulk, Frankenstein's monster, and Nighthawk. Okay. To stop the Man-Thing, who has gone insane from the massed levels of fear happening across the planet. Facing various alternate universe heroes and the Psycho-Man, brought to Earth by the Man-Thing's connections to the Nexus of all realities, the four are eventually able to confront their own fears and calm the Man-Thing, bringing it into his rampage and saving the world before going their separate ways. After his escape from the Thunderbolts and handling by the Fearsome Four, the Man-Thing was captured and entered into S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Stake subdivision. Stake is one of their, we're going to deal with uh, uh, paranormal threats. Mm. It never goes very well, but they try it a couple of times. While on their inaugural mission, the Howling Commandos are in combat with a viral plant infection. Multiple of these infected individuals join together to form a larger being. This was cause for Dum Dum Dugan to call in the Man-Thing to be dropped on the, into the fight. He then proceeds to fight off the enlarged being and defeat it using his burning touch. Due to this, the idol they were sent to retrieve was destroyed, and their first mission was both success and failure. Now, for these final bits, I am... And we're almost done, I promise. I am not sure entirely the order that these can't happen in, so I'm going to, I, I'm going to read a couple of stuff and understand that they might be swapped around. Sure. When the cosmic being known as the Phoenix Force returns to Earth, it stages a contest to determine who will be its next host, with the Man-Thing being one of the options. <laughs> I'm down. She has them fight. I love that idea so much. Yeah. Uh, she has various heroes fight to see who will possess the Phoenix Force, and Man-Thing is put up against the Black Panther. Uh, the Panther approves immune to the Man-Thing's touch, and he manages to defeat the creature because mostly, if you're not afraid of the Man-Thing, he'll pretty much just leave you alone. Yeah. And the Man-Thing is disqualified from the tournament. Poor guy. He doesn't really care. I kind of want to see what it would look like. I'm not going to lie. Some of the alternate designs for, like, here's what a uh, Phoenix forced up. There was, like, Wolverine and Cap and Namor, but better than his previous one. And I think the... I think we're getting a variant of the Black Panther one. Oh, that's cool. There, there was some great designs in that story. That's from the Jason Aaron Avengers run that we've read a lot of times. Uh, during the Empire invasion, Man-Thing falls under the control of the Kotati, which were an invading alien species of plant people. 
However, Dr. Voodoo saves him, and uh, he teams up with the Black Knight to fight the Kotabi. Later, Harriet Brome, an agent of the self-proclaimed eco-warriors known as the Horde Culture, Horticulture, adopts the name Harrower and attempts to use the Man-Thing to perform a mass culling of humanity. The Horticulture, by the way, is a group of old people that use super science to try to bring balance to the world. Okay. They fight the X-Men. It's from some of the earlier parts of the uh, Krakoa-era X-Men. Yeah, run. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Harrower attempts to use the Man-Thing to perform a mass culling of humanity, intending to purge the human race and let another species take over. To this end, she attacks and skins the Man-Thing and uses his corpse to produce seedling spores that will merge in all major cities across the world and burn their victims. You can skin the Man-Thing? He's made of muck. Okay, so I've read this series. It's from Steve Orlando, who I love. We've read several things of him. He also wrote that Dark Old series. Mm -hmm. And this was very similar, that it was a bunch of one-shots. But it's a strange Man-Thing series because it doesn't quite tie in with some of the Man-Thing stuff that has come before. Gotcha. Captain America is absorbed by the spores where he meets the remnants of Ted Salas, who explains that he's been sentient inside the Man-Thing the entire time. which has not been true in almost any other previous I case. Shenanigans. Although it could be a end result of some of the stuff that happened with the whole Nexus merging thing that we were talking about a few minutes ago. I'll say, like, even, like, the Gerber run that we read completely, it's hinted that, like, there's portions of Ted in there, but not in any... He's in a haze. At best. It's kind of like... Ted got shredded, and there's just, like, bits. Yeah. Bits. And every once in a while, one of them's in the forefront enough to, like, come to mind for a second. And then leaves. Cap tries to get Ted to help, but, uh, somehow involving bringing back the super soldier serum. But Ted explains that he never actually cracked the serum like he did in his very first appearance, but made a deal with the demon Belasco of Limbo... Never a good idea. To get the information but... <laughs> to crack the serum. Personally, I hate this storyline, but we can kind of work around it. Of Belasco didn't give him the formula. Belasco gave him the information to crack the formula. It's confusing, but yeah. He attempts to get Cap to contact Kurt Connors, a.k.a. the Lizard, for help, but when Connors affirms that he can't help, Spider-Man is able to convince Salas to take responsibility for his past. Because... Great power comes great responsibility is Spider-Man's answer to literally everything. You're not wrong. I mean, it's a better answer to everything than injecting random... We have a lizard bad guy. We have a bat guy who's sometimes a good, sometimes guy. Uh, and now we just need one that injects dog blood, and then we'll have the full trifecta of weirdness. I don't think there's one, but, like, I'm not promising that. Anyways... Salas's essence is able to grow a new body for the Man-Thing, and Man-Thing returns to Salas's old office, where it's revealed that Salas made the deal with the demon Belasco, I just said, yada yada yada. When he performs the ritual again, he summons Magic, the new ruler of Limbo, who offers to release Salas from his uh, current state. Understanding that his freedom would leave Man-Thing an uncontrolled creature of instinct, Salas agrees to remain and joins Magic's strike team in attacking Harrower. After banishing Harrower to another dimension and destroying her spore plants, Magic later summons Belasco that Salas can properly punish the demon for his role in Salas's fate. Which leads to bad things happening to Belasco, which I always love. It's a really fun series. It just is 
weird fit into continuity, and man thinks continuity is strange enough as it mm-hmm. is. And that is pretty much where we leave Man-Thing in his most recent stuff. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about basically what we talked about for the first hour of this episode. Yeah, basically. So I know that we are on the island to largely avoid sweaty neckbeards and tryhards and the worst parts of the community, but literally today I had someone in a Avengers fan group tell me that modern writers are just like Goebbels and the Nazi party for being mean to conservatives. What? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I want to point out, I feel like this transition makes more sense if you have read the Gerber run. And I was just, literally, that's what I was saying. He's like, comics back then weren't political and they didn't make characters gay. <laughs> like, one, you're a bigot and a bad person. And two, Gerber's man thing. We're even skipping over the, like, you know, Captain America punched Nazis before America entered World War II, which was a wildly unpopular thing that almost got Kirby killed. Right. Yeah, let's skip over everything else. <laughs> let's skip over all of that. Let's skip over the fact that comics have always been political. <laughs> it's an inherently political genre. Media. It, it's always had ties to counterculture, ranging from the rock movement to the, the, the punk to hip-hop, and I'm just talking about music stuff there, back to Jewish kids growing up in the Bronx in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... This is what it is, guys. This is, but like, even that, I mean, this is possibly the most political comic I've ever read that is not like directly, openly just let's talk about politics. Right, because a lot of this is kind of, hmm. So this isn't exactly accurate, especially with how many things that Man Thing ends up killing. But it's kind of just like, you know, what would happen if we just approached everything we ran into with a little bit more empathy and sort of leaned a little bit more towards people that are good and away from people that are bad? And curiosity. Yeah. Because the man thing doesn't really understand what's ever happening, but he always is curious about Mm -hmm. stuff. I don't know. There's something so, like, kind of achingly beautiful about all of this. Just the... the, Unwe is the word that kept coming up for me. Like it's it's sad, but it's pretty. I really liked all this a lot more than I thought I was going to. Same. At a certain point, it started to become hard to read just because I was like, I I I get it. We've read this story. We yes. haven't read this story, but we've read this story because there's only so much man thing ever does. Yeah, it's around when Bushema starts taking over as the writing or the art duties, which was interesting to me because, okay, I don't know how well this book sold, but John Buscema was one of the biggest names at Marvel at the time, so I don't know if they put him on to try to boost sales. That dude was a machine. He drew, like, three comic books a month. That's unheard of. Uh, Or if he was famous for not being a huge fan of uh, superhero books. Mm. So if that was the, like, draw Avengers and we'll let you do Man-Thing too as the, like... Yeah, right. If you do this for us, we'll let you do this for you. Personally, I preferred Mike Plug as an artist. When I just love saying Mike Plug, he was the artist for the first part of the book. He was also the one of the creators of uh, Ghostwriter, 
or mm. one of the early artists for it. And he wrote up through that Maybell Torque right. story about dog. He had a very interesting cartoony style that I don't know, was some somehow really worked for man thing for me. Like I'll agree. I like how wild man thing gets because at a certain point you're like, whoa, these are pirates from space. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> But I, some of those earlier stories, I think I almost liked a little bit more when it's just like man thing showing up and being like, you know what? At the end of the day, both of these guys suck. So I'm going to let them hash out their differences. Okay. They've hashed out their differences and that guy's dead. Okay. You also suck really badly. So now I'm going to do something about it. The only place where that really came up was the, the story is a, a black man is on the run from a racist cop, which hit real close to home in the year 2023. Mm-hmm. Sadly. Um, claiming he was just innocent of everything, but it later turns out that he did in fact kill a man. I want to say in like self-defense or we don't really know. Yeah. It's ambiguous, ambiguous. And then the racist cop was pursuing him. Yep. And they're like, which one's really as bad. And then the cop kills the black man. And they're like, the cop was and they're like, Oh man, thing. I understand. You don't really understand what's going on here. And there's probably some commentary on like standing aside and watching mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. I don't mean to understate that by blah, 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 blah. I just, there's, just so many places that I thought did it better, even though that was a very good. I don't know. It was weird. I just felt like who's worse here. The racist cop is. <laughs> I just liked those stories a little bit more when it wasn't just like getting weird and it was swamp thing, just sort of observing humanity and I'm not swamp thing, man thing. See, and like, he's occasionally like coming in and doing something and it's not like, it's not that he's not a part of the story and doesn't affect how it how it ends, but it's a lot more of just like, oh, no, this is kind of just this is what people do. And this is how it changes if I just show up with a little bit of extra empathy yeah. and, he, you know, the ability to throw a gator across the swamp. Yeah, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, oh. he's mostly a stand in for the reader in the old ones. Like we're watching. He's watching. And when we're angry. He's like, oh, I got to do something about it. Uh, that cop is scared of me. Let's go burn him up. Like, or like when the, the, the story with the bus crash where that oh, drug yeah. driver killed everyone on the bus except those people. Manthing was just there. He let all those other people die before he stepped. And he's like, mm. hmm. <laughs> no, no. I can see how that was getting hard to write. So, yeah. I mean, it's in the same thing you were saying after a while. We're like, we've read this. So they did have to change stuff up. I I was never sure. As I said, I don't know this run too well before we read it. I don't think he was planning to end it at 22. It sure no. seemed like they were I don't think so. setting up to go for more stuff. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know, I really loved the, the clown going through his life story. Yeah. And I, I like didn't expect one. to really like that one as much as I did. I don't like suicide stories. I don't. Like, I don't know, the whole, I, I usually have the, like, shut up, man, kind of thing going with the, like, my life was screwed from the beginning, but there was something fascinating about it, and it was a huge indictment of growing up in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, on that note, I thought that the, the fat kid was going to be a suicide story, and I was pleasantly surprised when it wasn't. Yeah. 
Because I thought at first I was like, wait, did he just write 13 reasons why? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, you would never get the, the clown shooting himself in the head today. No. And you wouldn't get that. The, the, those two issues of the horror stories in the second volume you gave me in the middle of like monster. Like we present the monsters or whatever. And it's in black and white. And it's just paragraphs with a few pictures thrown in. Oh, yeah. That was brutal. There there was some wild stuff happening in a lot of these. I admittedly kind of skimmed that section. Anytime I it turned... It with the exception of the final issue where I made myself be like, no, I have to stop and pay attention to this. Anytime it was like, now we're doing a text-based story. I just... I knew it was good, but I, I just lost focus. His writing yeah. is so interesting. Completely, completely different comic, but I have that problem during the Orion stuff of Grendel. Mm, yeah. See, I didn't in that one, but that had some political intrigue that I got really into. That's also another story where Man-Thing just lets everyone die. Like, we don't have to end with skipping to the end here, but just to skip to the end real fast, I didn't expect it to be one of my favorite issues because, honestly, it's not a great issue the 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 gerber writing his resignation like that idea was really interesting it was a nonsense ending to the story being told but as a standalone issue it was interesting and what i loved about it was it made a few things about gerber click to me and his importance in comic books i've been reading since college when i first found out who steve gerber was that he was just 10 years too early if he had come out as a writer, as a creator in the 80s when Miller mm-hmm. and Moore and Gaiman oh, were doing stuff, yes. he would be in the same level of respect as Alan Moore. And I was always like, okay, and he's good, and I get that he was doing weird, but I didn't necessarily understand the ways that he was expanding comics until now. And this has made me want to reread some of his other stuff, but this is basically how Grant Morrison ends his animal rant yes. run 15 years early. And Morrison does it better, but that's because Gerber did it first. Well, I was like, this ends with like an animal man and um, the characters end up going in so weirdly different directions, but like, the way that some of these, the way that some of the Gerber issues uh, sort of indirectly wonder about the nature of humanity through these stories is very reminiscent of um, more using Swamp Thing to reminisce on what humanity means. Mm-hmm. Yes. There was. I. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, there was a lot of points where I was reading through this where I was like in a room with somebody or in like a Discord chat. Because there's a lot to read, and I was trying to multitask. Yeah, yeah. I had to um, do that a lot, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd be reading something, and I'd, I'd, like, stop and be like, this is such an interesting way to, like, just look at, like, a, a, a quick crosscut of, like, humans. Like, the entropy, I really enjoyed the entropy cult. Like, it was just super interesting to see their, how incredibly wild they were, and, like... That was the glam rocker? Cult guy or no? They no, that was no. a little bit later on. No, okay, it's just a cult of old white guys who want everyone to die. Yep, yep. Okay, yep. I'm back. Yep. There. Um, and then, <laughs> which is all cults. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Sometimes the Japanese. That was That's we can't. We're not doing Om Shinrikyo erasure here. <laughs> Fair. 
Uh, and like, and then that same storyline, there's like the that commune that started up to like net net zero carbon. Like we we don't mess up the environment. And oh, like, that one really hit interesting. Of like, yeah. and like it was just like he Gerber had like this really weird talent to be like, I like this idea. He broke it down to its most basic part, and then he applied it to what humans do, and then you just watch from Man Thing's perspective. It was like he used Man Thing as like this. Like, if you're playing a video game, the camera that you're seeing through is just Man-Thing. And you're just watching everybody. Mm-hmm. This was one of those books, like, okay, so you you read about, like, oh, we've known about climate change since at least the 80s. And, like, environmental fears from well before. And you know that. And you're like, man, that sucks. But then you read stuff from the era that's really talking about it. And it made it hit home so much harder for me. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, we really have been talking about this for a while. What's interesting to me, though, is, like, it'd be so easy, especially because I get the feeling that Gerber's a cynic from everything I've read from him and everything I've read about him. (laughs) Uh, And he's kind of an unpleasant dude in a lot of ways, or was, but people liked him. I don't know. He was a difficult man, let's say that. That's fair. And as cynical as this book could be, it wasn't just cynicism no no i'll agree it was surprisingly good at finding those moments of quiet beauty or quiet hope about mankind even while facing like there's these huge overwhelming problems but here's these little bits of like hope and the like actual beauty of human nature at the same time it was great at the the amalgamation of all the different like because there's a lot of genres he plays with here so there's like straight up horror uh there's there's like weird love stories. There's just like high, almost high fantasy sometimes with the wizard stuff. I was like, oh yeah, no, that's straight up. That's mm-hmm. uh, that was what fantasy was in the seventies. Yes, and I was down with it. It was super cool, but it created this cool all that all the amalgamation of all that created like this really like tranquil somberness across the entirety of the runs we read. And it was it's, going into this, I knew nothing about Man Thing, and I only gotten excited about reading this like a couple weeks before we started. Um, but now after reading all I have, I think it's probably probably my favorite thing like the top three favorite things i've read through in the entirety of this podcast no this is fantastic i rank this really highly um just sort of in general of comics i've read now i don't know if i could officially place it like this is the number five thing or something but wow it's really really and i i think you nailed it on the head it's ahead of its time this reads like something from the big writer's boom this book crawled so the big writer's boom could fly yeah, like, there were sentences in here like a uh, man thing witnessed this orgy of destruction from afar. And I'm like, that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it was gorgeous. <laughs> and some of it almost felt hackneyed, but in a way that I was like, all right, I see how people have been copying. It's just interesting. I have been hearing how important this run was ever since I discovered Wikipedia in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, fell upon this and, oh, the Gerber, oh, the man thing run. And I was like, yeah, cool. Blah, 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 blah. Never got to it. And it's not a book that I'm going to read often. But I have a feeling it's going to enter into the rotation every couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not one I'm going to be like, oh, it's time to relax and sit down and like read some, read some Steve Gerber man thing. But I wish I could remember where I had first heard Man-Thing described, but I remember one of the ways that I first heard him described as a character was like, oh yeah, like, 
he's not really a hero because he doesn't really think like that. But he's not a bad force. If he if he's running walking through the swamp and runs across like a deer trapped under a log, then he'll pick up on the fact that the deer considers the log to be a bad thing and he'll feel that fear and he'll end up helping it out. And I thought that that was just a random like example and then we read that page and yeah. I was like it makes sense. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it now. And by that time, it was also like 200, 300 pages in, and I was like, I really get this at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to talk about, like, the, you know, usually we talk like, oh, those are scenes I liked, or this is how man thing. But this was just kind of... Well, I think part of the problem is that we read too much. Because a lot. A, a lot of these different storylines could almost be episodes by themselves, because yeah. they are commenting on different uh, sociopolitical issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That are almost incredibly still relevant today in a lot of different ways, which again I mentioned this earlier. It was I, I don't consume any or a lot of stuff from the seventies or sixties or fifties. It's just because I just don't. Not really a reason, but like reading this stuff, I was like, oh, this is like all stuff that is still relevant today. It was like this really cool feeling, like, huh, like people knew this. And then the next feeling I had was. Man, that sucks because it's still a problem today. <laughs> Nothing has happened. People do not change. Yeah. I do think it's really funny, though, that he doesn't get an upgrade from the super pure water and instead gets an upgrade from being thrown in, like... Sewage? The sewage Toxic plant. Toxic chemicals, yeah. <laughs> it's that stuff he made, that the the serum he made, it was made to combat that. So I guess in some weird dream logic, it's like, oh yeah, he absorbed it because he's immune to it, so now he's stronger. You do have to remember this is a world where an irradiated spider gave someone powers and not massive cancer. He could have both. <laughs> we don't know. He's only 18. Have you <laughs> ever read the world's... It, I actually really enjoyed it, but there was a series called Spider-Man Reign. No, I never even heard of this. It is an attempt to make a Dark Knight Returns of Spider-Man, which is desperately unneeded, but it was a fun story. But it, it it's Old Man Spider-Man, and everything's gone dark and terrible, and it turns out Mary Jane died from cancer thanks to uh, Peter. Mm. Radioactive fluids. Oh. And there's the very unfortunate Spider-Man hugging her corpse because it's been dug up on an attack on him, yelling, Loving you kill or loving me killed you. <laughs> Oof. Wow, okay. The early 2000s were a weird time. They still are. (laughs) (laughs) I just... Totally off topic. I just... Reading this makes me feel like we need more Man-Thing things, but I also don't want more Man-Thing things because there's only so many ways he can respond to a situation. Well, and it's become such a common... The Man-Thing can talk now, and I'm like, I'm not interested in that. I don't... Even runs that I like that had it in. I'm like, but that's not what he's... Yeah. I just, I want another really thinky author to get a certain kind of thinky author. I to want get Neil a, Gaiman to write Yes, I want thing. Neil, that's where I was going to go eventually. It was, I want Neil Gaiman to write Man-Thing and just like let his Man-Thing run be his thoughts on the world. Yeah, yeah. I'd be down. I'm trying to think of who else I would... I think um, Delgado would have done a good job. Or not Delgado, Delano. Delano oh, Junior would, Delano? Yeah, Delano would do a good man thing. N.K. Jemison, who's been writing some comics recently, would be really good. She's a fantastic fantasy writer, too, so we could get some, like, Dakeem the Sorcerer stuff mm-hmm. again. Oh, that would be awesome. 
I want Jennifer Kale to come back in a bigger way, because I actually think that's a character that has some legs beyond just Man-Thing's occasional sorcerer friend. Mm-hmm. That really could use a costume upgrade. She actually gets some somewhat decent ones later. I don't know. I mean, okay, so I love pinups, so I don't hate her costume, but I recognize why we're not going to use it in the year 2023. Fair. <laughs> yeah. It's all the pointy parts that make no sense to me. <laughs> oh, it has to be so uncomfortable. Like Just that. imagine going out on a hot, sunny day wearing that. No. <laughs> now I'm getting flashbacks to movies that I want to talk about. <laughs> or to just, like... Making the bad decision to go down the metal slide in the middle of summer. God. Flashbacks. <laughs> Dares. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Okay, so we're pretty long in the tooth on this one. So, and since this run is just like, this was wild. Yeah, we had a hard time not commenting on everything throughout this episode anyway. Yeah, I think I'm, we covered it, it all. We're, we'll talk about next time we're covering. I desperately wanted to just cover Simon Garth the zombie. But it's really hard because there's terrible collections of his stories. Originally, the plan was to read Tales of the Zombie, also by Gerber, because I wanted more Gerber horror stories. Mm -hmm. But it turns out, yeah. Just hard to get your hands on. It's not on Marvel Unlimited. The Collecting the original issues, they're like, you want 200 bucks for this? I'm like, I sure don't want to pay you that. <laughs> and uh, the only time it's been collected in a collected edition was the Essential Editions, which was a thing from like 15 years mm -hmm. ago, which was the cheapest possible paper, the cheapest possible printing. They were, they were selling for like 10 to 15 bucks and almost unreadably like badly collected. And now they want like $60 for that. I'm not paying that. So... We will be mostly covering Simon Garth, but we'll be covering zombies in general, and we will be reading Marvel Zombies 3 and 4. Not issues 3 and 4, but its miniseries titled Marvel Zombies 3 and Marvel Zombies 4. Because those are the Marvel Zombies stories that actually take place in the world we're talking about. Right. It's it, not just everything else has been turned to zombies. Yes, it's not the what-if episode. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the monthly game of Parcheesi starts soon. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Noob Island. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.